Chapter Twenty Two, A Daring Undertaking, of the Lost City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City, by Joseph E. Badger Jr. Chapter Twenty Two, A Daring Undertaking. Still, that point was of too vital importance to justify hasty decision, and the professor did not make his surrender complete until the shades of another night were beginning to gather over the land. Meantime, partly for the purpose of keeping the youngsters employed, and thus out of the way of less harmless things, the professor suggested that the huge grizzly be flayed. If the proposed scheme should really be undertaken, that mighty pelt, if uncomfortable to convey, would serve as a fair excuse for the young brave's as yet unexplained absence from the lost city. As a matter of course, Cooper Edgecombe felt intense anxiety through all, but he contrived to keep fair mastery over his emotions, readily admitting that he himself could do naught towards visiting the lost city. I know that my loved ones are yonder. I would joyfully suffer ten thousand deaths by torture for the chance to speak one word to them. And yet, I know any such attempt would prove fatal to us all. The mere sight of—I could go crazy with joy. There is no necessity for repeating the various arguments used, pro and con, before the final agreement was reached. Enough has already been put upon record, and the result must suffice. Professor Featherwit yielded the vital point, and, having once fairly expressed his fears and doubts, flung his whole heart into perfecting the disguise which was now counted upon to carry Bruno safely into and out of yonder city. He was carefully trigged out in the warlike uniform secured by Cooper Edgecombe at the cost of a human life, and, with fresh stain applied to his face and hands, the slight moustache he wore was not dangerously perceptible. "'Twould take a strong light and mighty keen eyes to see it at all, and even if a body should happen to notice it, he'd reckon to a bit of smut or the like,' generously declared Waldo. Under less trying circumstances, Bruno might have answered in kind, but now he merely smiled at the gesture, then turned again to receive the earnest cautions he let fall for his benefit by the professor. Above all else he was to steer clear of fighting, and without he saw a fair chance of winning speech with the white women, he was to keep in such hiding as Ixtli might furnish, trusting the young Aztec to post the children of the sun as to what was in the wind. Tremulous, almost incapable of coherent speech, so intense was his agitation, Cooper Edgecombe sent many messages to his loved ones, begging for one word in return, and if nothing less would serve— his voice choked, and only his feverishly burning eyes could say the rest. It was well past sunset ere the youngsters set forth from the rendezvous, accompanied a short distance by both Waldo and the professor, but the parting came in good time. It would be worse than folly to add to the existent perils that of possible discovery by some prowling Aztec who might work serious injury to them one and all. That great bear-hide proved a tax upon their strength, even though the bullet-riddled headpiece had been carefully cut off and buried, lest those queer holes tell a risky tale on close examination, 
but Ixtli, as well as Bruno, was upborne by an exaltation such as neither had known before this hour. There was nothing worse than the natural obstacles in the way to be overcome, and knowing every square yard of ground so thoroughly, Ixley chose the most practicable route to that hill-encircled town. The stony pass was followed to the lower level, and the young adventurers had drawn fairly near the first buildings, ere encountering a living being, and then ample time was given them for meeting the danger. A low-voiced call sounded upon the night air, and Ixley responded in much the same tone. Bruno, of course, was utterly in the dark as to what was being said, but he still held perfect faith in his copper-hued guide and left all to the son of Azotl. The Aztec brave appeared to be explaining his unusually protracted absence, for he proudly displayed the great grizzly pelt, then exhibited the spearhead from which protruded the tooth-marked wound. Like one who was already familiar with the details, Bruno slowly lounged forward a pace or two, then in silence awaited the pleasure of his companion on that night jaunt. Ixley was not many minutes in shaking off the Indian, and, almost staggering beneath his shaggy burden, moved away as though in haste to rejoin his family circle. Fortunately for the venture, the Aztecans appeared to believe in the maxim of going to bed early, for there were very few individuals astir at that hour, young though the evening still was. And by the clear moonlight which fell athwart the valley, it was no difficult task to catch sight before being seen, where eyes so busy as those of the two young men were concerned. Only once were they forced to make a brief detour in order to escape meeting another redskin, and then a guarded whisper from the lips of the Aztec warned Bruno that they were almost at the Teocalili, wherein the children of the sun made their home and abiding place. Leaving the grisly pelt at a corner for the time being, Ixley led his white friend up and into the Temple of the Sun, pressing a hand by way of added caution. Although he had declared that an armed guard was kept night and day over the sun-children, and that he hoped to pass Bruno as well as himself without any serious difficulty, since he had long been a favoured visitor, and ever welcomed by Victo and Gladi, the temple was seemingly without such protection upon the present occasion. Ixley expressed great surprise when this fact became evident, and he showed uneasiness as to the welfare of his beloved patroness and kindly teacher. Surely something evil was impending. His father, Azotl, was chieftain of the guards and wholly devoted to the sun-children, ready at all times to risk life in their behalf. Now, if the usual guards were lacking, surely it portended evil, treachery, no doubt, at the bottom of which the Paba and the Tzin almost certainly lurked. All this Ixley contrived to convey to Bruno, who fairly well shared that anxiety, but who was more far going ahead with a bold rush to learn the worst as quickly as might be. Still, unfamiliar with the construction of the temple as he was, Bruno felt helpless without his guide, and so timed his progress by that of Ixley, right hand tightly gripping the handle of his handwood, or maquahuitl, resolved to give a good account of either of those rascally varlets in case trouble lay ahead. 
the unwanted desolation which appeared to reign on all sides was plainly troubling the Aztec brave, and he seemed to suspect a cunning ambuscade, judging from his slow advance, pausing at nearly every step to bend ear in keen listening. Still nothing was actually seen or heard until, after the young men reached the upper elevation, upon a portion of which the sun-children had been first sighted by the air-voyagers. Here the first sound of human voices was heard, and Bruno stopped short in obedience to the almost fierce grip which Ixley closed upon his nearest arm, listening for a brief space, then breathing, lowly. "'We see first. That good. Him see first. That bad. I, ear, to both. You know, brother?' "'You mean that we are to listen and play spy first, Ixley?' asked Bruno, scarcely catching the real meaning of those hurried words. "'Yes, dat best. Come, step like snowfalls, brother.' "'Who is it first? "'Victor, she won. "'Other man, not no sure, but think what's in. "'He bad. All bad. Kill him some day. "'Dat good. Plenty good all over.' This grim vow appeared to do the Aztec good from a mental point of view, and then he led his white friend silently towards the covered part of the Tuacalili, from whence those sounds emanated. Curtains of thick stuff served to shut in the light and to partly smother the sound of voices, but Ixley cautiously formed a couple of peepholes of which they quickly made good use. A portion of the sacred fire was burning upon its special altar, while a large lamp formed of baked clay was suspended from the roof, shedding a fair light around, as well as perfuming the enclosure quite agreeably. Almost directly beneath this hanging lamp stood the two children of the sun, one tall, stately, almost queenly of stature, and now looking unusually impressive, as she seemed to act as shield for her daughter, slighter, more yielding, but, ah, how lovely of face and calmly of person! Even then, Bruno could not help realizing those facts, although his ears were tingling sharply with the harsh accents falling from a far different pair of lips, those of a tall, muscular warrior, whose form was gorgeously arrayed in feather-work and cunning weaving, rich-hued dyes having been called to aid the other arts as well. If this was actually the Prince Hua, then he was a most brutal sample of Aztecan aristocracy, and at first sight Gillespie felt a fierce hatred for the harsh-toned chieftain. As a matter of course, Bruno was unable to comprehend just what was being said, thanks to his complete ignorance of the language employed, but he felt morally certain that ugly threats were passing through those thin lips, and even so soon his hands began to itch and his blood to glow, both urging him to the rescue. Swiftly fell the reply made by Victor, and her words must have stung the prince to the quick, since he uttered a savage cry, drawing back an arm as though to smite that proudly beautiful face with his hard-clenched fist. That proved to be the capshift, for Bruno could stand no more. He dashed aside the heavy curtain as he leaped forward, giving a stern cry as he came, swinging the war-club over his shoulder to strike with all vengeance at the startled and recoiling Aztecan. Only the young man's unfamiliarity with the weapon preserved Prince Hua from certain death. 
As it was, he reeled to fall in a nerveless heap upon the floor, while, with a startled cry, another Aztec broke away in flight. End of chapter 22